The universe is loud in a very quiet way. Are you listening? Listening, listening, listening? Welcome to the Cosmic Whispers podcast, where we delve into the realms of spirituality, personal growth, and the cosmic dance between the third and fifth dimensions. In a world filled with noise and distractions, we invite you to tune in to your own Cosmic Whispers, where we can awaken our inner wisdom and embark on unveiling the authentic self and cosmic connection. Welcome to episode 12 with Dr. Cynthia Daoud. With a PhD in molecular biology, Dr. Cynthia Daoud offers a distinctive perspective as a scientist, freelance medical and scientific writer, and the chief editor at Biologically Curious. Her expertise extends beyond the lab, delving into the intricacies of gene therapy and rare diseases. Her educational foundation, including studies at Paris Sackler University and specialized training from prestigious institutions such as Stanford and John Hopkins, firmly establishes her as a go-to resource in medical communication and regulatory writing. Welcome, Dr. Cynthia Daoud. Hello. (laughs) I'm really happy that you're here. We have a very interesting subject today, which I've always been fascinated to learn about. Today, we're going to talk about astrobiology. My question is, what is astrobiology and how does it differ from traditional biology or other scientific disciplines? Before I start, I just just a small disclaimer, I am not an astrobiologist. <laughs> I am a molecular biologist, but I am passionate about everything biology, passionate about space. So that's why I'll be talking about this topic, but I did do my research, so everything that I'm saying is backed by science. Astrobiology is, um, it actually comes, it has like a Greek origin, if we want to to understand the word to better understand the science. So it comes from astro, which means star, Uh, bio is life, and logi is study. So it's literally the study of the universe, of life in the universe. And astrobiology is actually, it can be split into two two big domains, understanding life in the universe and searching for life in the universe outside of Earth. And the other part is actually understanding how how life came to be on Earth, so the origin of life. Astrobiology is a bit different from other disciplines because it's actually much more interdisciplinary than uh, your typical science. So in astrobiology, there's not only biology, but there's also astronomy, chemistry, geology, oceanography, atmospheric science, physics. So it's pretty varied science. Can you provide an overview of the current state of astrobiology research and some of the key questions scientists in this field are trying to answer right now? Yeah, so this is a very big question because, uh, as I said, like it's a very vast uh, science. But I can I can go over the the main stuff that are happening right now in our solar system and a little bit beyond it. So astrobiology um, is, as I said, the search for life. So there are many missions. Uh, from, there are multiple missions going on right now to try to find life on other planets. And that is through something called biosignatures. So I'll just explain really quick this word because it's very important. So biosignature basically is any sign of life. It can be either chemicals that appear in a certain context only when there is life. There, It could be the presence of organic chemicals, which, which means... Um, molecules that only exist because of life so like dna or proteins or fats so they only are produced by living beings or they can contribute to a living being and we can also even talk about technologies alien technologies any signs of that so that would be a biosignature Astrobiologists are looking for biosignatures on other planets. The most famous one is Mars. And uh, the reason why Mars is the most studied planet for extraterrestrial life is actually because there was a confirmation of presence of water in Mars in 2007. And then uh, there was also another very intriguing discovery there. And it was the presence of variations of methane in the atmosphere. What astronauts found actually on Mars is that there are certain spots where methane percentages are going up and down randomly, as if something is like excreting it, which could be a sign of life. 
the phenomenon is still unknown. We don't know if it's a geological reason, but it could also be a, a biological reason. So that's why now there is a Perseverance rover that's currently collecting samples in Mars and is going to bring them back. The launch to bring them back is around in 2027, 2028. And we could have some really interesting answers. That's for Mars. Another really interesting example in our solar system is Venus. Actually, there were biosignatures that were found in the clouds of Venus. Compounds have been, uh, have been found basically in there that are only produced by bacteria on Earth. Now, scientists are intrigued by that and they want to see if it could mean that there is life in the atmosphere or in the clouds of Venus, or if it's just cosmic dust that's washing by Venus. There are missions uh, that are also planned for that. There's uh, a lot of stuff going on like that. There is uh, also the icy moons in our solar system. So, for example, there is Titan, which is the biggest moon in our solar system. So it's the largest moon of Saturn. And actually, it's the only other planet than Earth in our solar system that has like a liquid system. They have rivers, they have oceans, they have lakes. But what's even more interesting is that those lakes and oceans are made of ethane and methane, not of water. But instead, they have volcanoes. Instead of like dropping out lava, it's actually water. So it's like a whole other thing, whole other universe. Wait, I want to go there. <laughs> How do I get there? <laughs> I'm guessing that the methane lakes would not <laughs> would not be a good idea. But yeah, it's really cool. And um, there is a mission that's expected to go there by 2027 to further investigate the possibility of finding life on Titan. So there's that. And then there's outside of our solar system also. Now with the James Webb Telescope, so it's a very amazing telescope that's taking those incredible high-def pictures of uh, the universe outside of our solar system. And this could actually help us to try to find sign of life outside. Wow, that's so cool. So we could potentially have Martians and Venetians and Titans and <laughs> who knows what else is out there. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge place. It's a huge world out there. And more. <laughs> Fascinating. So what are the challenges and limitations in the search for extraterrestrial life? And how are scientists addressing these obstacles? Oof, well, that's a, that's a loaded question, actually. So there are many limitations. Some of them are obvious. Some of them are a bit more concerning, I would say. So if we're looking at the obvious, obviously, it's so expensive to go into space every time and then bringing back samples. This is not a cheap science. There is a lot of budget that goes into that, but also a lot of time. And many scientists go their entire lifetime working on the same project and don't even get to see the results. So uh, it's, it's a pretty heavy-duty science. Also, as I said, it's very interdisciplinary. So getting people from all different sciences to agree on the same topic, <laughs> just imagine that. Oh, that, that is a challenge a itself. <laughs> <laughs> the meetings must be held. <laughs> But then also there are more complicated limitations, and uh, some of them are actually the results of those experiments cannot be guaranteed. Uh, some biosignatures could be not biosignatures, actually, and the reason is that scientists are working from so far away on something that could be like, what if it's just a glitch in a picture or... You know, whatever, we, we can't always say 100% what we're seeing is true when we're working from millions of miles away. This can be tough sometimes, and the best way to do it is to just bring back samples. But bringing back samples is a whole other thing also, because when you're bringing back your sample, you have to make sure that you're not contaminating the sample, that you're not changing the conditions for the sample, the temperature, the pressure, anything could change the results of an experiment. So it's pretty delicate. And then one of the biggest um, ethical limitations, I would say, is the fact that we are contaminating the outside world, actually. Like, even with everything that scientists do, there are always accidents that are going to happen. Uh, and there is uh, an example on that, actually, which is uh, when in 2012, there was a Mars exploration 
and 298 strains of bacteria were actually, they, they contaminated Mars, even though scientists did oops. everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big oops. <laughs> Big oops. Even though scientists did everything to de decontaminate it, but some bacteria are really tough to remove and really tough to detect. So now there are 298 strains of bacteria just dormant on Mars waiting for the day to appear again. <laughs> you just got to leave it to the humans, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so this can be a little bit not the best. <laughs> but I mean, sometimes it has to be a necessary evil. You just have to do the best you can. And then... I'm curious to see what happens after that contamination. Well, now they are dormant. The bacteria are dormant now, but I mean, you never know. They might develop some sort of resistance to their environment. And <laughs> I hope we're not starting life on Mars like that. <laughs> <laughs> Creating like human zombies. And then we'll be like, oh my God, there's life on Mars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's also another limitation for astrobiology. Like we need to make sure that any contamination to the samples is actually a contamination, not, not suppose it's life out there. <laughs> well, we just, some dude brought it from not washing his hands after the bathroom <laughs> or something. <laughs> what about the concept of panspermia and how it relates to the potential spread of life between celestial bodies? Panspermia is actually a theory that started as a philosophical concept in ancient Greece, in which philosophers actually considered that the seed of the seeds of life are present everywhere in, in the universe, and that panspermia is the concept of those seeds traveling between the different planets. And then this uh, theory evolved more into, this theoretical concept evolved more into a scientific theory around the 19th to 20th century, uh, where scientists started talking about panspermia as microorganisms and spores, fungus spores or bacterial spores that are just moving in, uh, in space between the planets uh, through three stages. So the first stage would be the escape from the original planet. The second one would be the transit through space. And then the third one, the landing uh, on, on another planet. So there's a lot of arguments about this theory and not all scientists agree on it. There are many people that say that it's basically bullshit. And then others that are really strong believers in it. Broke panspermia scientists believe that life originated outside of Earth and then it just was transported through space, through the comets and meteorites, and it landed on Earth during one of the showers or one of the accidents or meteorites that hit Earth. But also many studies that were done on Earth, in space, or the International Space Station have shown that many microbes or even spores, so spores are basically like small pouches uh, that microbes can get into like this small pouch form to survive really, really heavy conditions. So by doing experiments on the International Space Station, scientists were able to see that there are some spores and some, uh, some microorganisms that actually survive UV lights and really harsh space conditions. And this could maybe support the theory of panspermia. Also, scientists have uh, been studying the possibility of microbial beings moving not only within the same solar system, but also further away. The origin of life could be a very large possibility. It could come from anywhere in space, anywhere in the universe, according to the panspermia theory. But then the, the scientists that are against panspermia are like, yeah, but you're just moving away the, the original explanation of how life started. So yeah, so that's, that's why people don't really agree on it very much. And there are also many scientists that are trying to show that actually bacteria and microorganisms cannot live through space travel for that long, or that they could die because of the heat friction while entering a planet. But then there are other studies that are disproving that. So it's still a bit out there, but it's, uh, it's, it's a great theory as well. To me, it seems almost logical that it would be able to survive because there's so much different strains of bacteria out there. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a scientist. How are we to say like, oh, that doesn't exist? Yeah, it's, it's very possible to exist. The thing with science is that nothing is 100%, but at the same time, you cannot say that something exists unless 
you prove it. So that's why it's still like a big conversation out there. But yeah, it is it is a possibility. And there are many experiments that are showing that some bacteria can live through insane conditions. Have you ever felt like you need a little grounding when the full moon hits? Perhaps you want to open your third eye a bit before meditation. Get your creative juices flowing for a project or balance some womb healing. Cosmic Mama ceremonial herbal teas for the chakras can help. Our 100% organic, sustainably sourced, and caffeine-free blends are meticulously handcrafted in small batches. Whether you're looking for an herbal infusion to complement an intentional moment or ceremony, or you just want to enjoy a soothing and delicious brew, Cosmic Mama is here for you. You can support our podcast and enjoy 15% off with code WHISPERS15 on CosmicMama.co. Indulge in the magic of Cosmic Mama ceremonial herbal teas and let their harmonizing essence guide you on your path of connection and well-being. Are you ready for the next one? Yeah, but spirituality, it's like, it's not at all my, like the stuff I know. So I want to make sure I'm not saying any bullshit. Spirituality is so open-ended that it's whatever you want to believe. That's the beauty of it, I think. Yeah, true. It's your interpretation. I don't have much of an interpretation. (laughs) You're being so sciencey. Stop being yeah. so sciencey. <laughs> I don't know why. Like I, I grew up like heavily Christian, and then I lost that, and then my spirituality went with it. And right now, I'm just figuring it out. I'm just like going with the safe, sciencey route. <laughs> oh no! Let's let's go outside the safe zone. We're going outside the the science safe zone. <laughs> All right, we're going outside the safe zone for this let's question. Go. How does the field of astrobiology impact or challenge traditional spiritual beliefs about the origins of life and our place in the cosmos? Okay, so. uh, (laughs) What's your interpretation? How about that? Well, right now I would say like, let's not take it too far. It's just, it's a science. Let's just believe the facts. (laughs) But. No, I want to go far (laughs) into outer space. So. I, I guess I'll divide this uh, this into like religion and spirituality because it can be a bit different. So for Christianity, for example, because I grew up Christian, so I can talk about that. A lot of stuff were disproven by science, by astrobiology. <laughs> so it doesn't really go hand in hand, I would say. But it did help uh, change the outlook of uh, Christianity, for example, on the creation of life, where it moved from believing that it was thousands of years ago into now accepting the Big Bang Theory and that the origin of life may not have started exclusively on Earth and that also the universe started way further than a thousand years ago. Also, many religions believe that humans are the only intelligent beings uh, or even the only beings that are alive in the universe. But there is something in astrobiology that's actually similar, believe it or not, and it's called the Fermi Paradox. So basically, the Fermi Paradox questions the discrepancy between the apparently very high likelihood to have life around us, like bustling all around the universe and finding alien life very easily, and the fact that we still haven't found any. This theory actually tries to explain why we haven't found actual proof, like scientific proof of alien life yet, or why we haven't been contacted by aliens to those who... (laughs) (laughs) Look strictly at the science and not the UFO theories, not theories, all stories out there. But to explain this theory, there are multiple hypotheses. And those hypotheses are either aliens never came here because of a physical difficulty. This physical difficulty could be making space travel uh, something that's just not possible. That could be related to astronomy, biology, or engineering. Another hypothesis for that is that aliens simply chose to never visit us. I would understand <laughs> why they wouldn't do that. I would understand completely. <laughs> Stay safe out there, aliens. <laughs> this is not a free place. Plus, it's, it's getting destroyed, so they're not going to come to too much soon. <laughs> yeah, it's a suicide mission. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Another hypothesis is that advanced civilizations beyond Earth arose too recently for aliens to reach us. 
So which would be kind of like our situation where it's just too early for us to have the technologies to reach out to other alien lives. And finally, it's actually the same hypothesis as religion. Like religion says, aliens don't exist and the only intelligent beings exist on Earth. So all of those are actually hypotheses that are part of the Fermi paradox, which is a very scientific theory. It hasn't been proven. I cannot say like it's a confirmed theory, but it's a paradox that's very well known in the scientific community. I would say this is where we could see maybe a link with religion between astrobiology and religion. Knowing that astrobiologists are still out there looking for life, convinced that they're going to find it someday. So I wouldn't say religion and astrobiology are the same. However, for spirituality, I believe that it actually comes closer to astrobiology than religion does. The thing about astrobiology is that while astrobiology is searching for life outside of Earth, the more scientists are searching and the harder they are searching for it, the more they realize that it's actually the presence of humans on Earth is very unique and very related to like this chain of unique events that have such a tiny, tiny chance of actually happening. We have to think uh, of the chances of Earth being like the perfect place, the perfect time, and having the primary products of life that actually happen to be in the same place at this perfect time, perfect temperature, perfect pressure, to create this very first being, which was most probably a bacteria, and then evolving, like going through all those unique events of evolution to actually get to human beings or also to animals or intelligent beings altogether is is just insane to think about it. To answer all that, like how did that all happen? Why did it happen? What was like, what kind of crazy coincidence happened for us to get to this point, to the humanity point? I know the answer to that. <laughs> Tell me. Some aliens came to Earth to inspect and contaminated Earth with their own bacteria. <laughs> and, and then we went back to Mars to pay back the favor. Spread the bacteria. <laughs> That's my scientific answer. I was worried you were going to tell me they built the pyramids. but <laughs> Well, that happened after the contamination. <laughs> so actually, I think this is where spirituality can come in handy to explain to try to explain that instead of just going insane about all those crazy questions. <laughs> I do believe that spirituality is one of the ways to help humans actually cope with all this, uh, all these questions and like try to understand without going crazy how the hell everything happened. <laughs> That's where I believe that um, spirituality and astrobiology could go hand in hand to have a better explanation, at least for spiritual individuals out there of, of life. I love that. That's very cool. How might the discovery of microbial life on other planets, even in extreme environments, influence our understanding of the potential for life's resilience and adaptability? Yeah, so life is extremely resilient and adaptable. And bacterial life, so much, <laughs> is so much like that. And it's actually really fascinating how how much bacteria and microbial life in general can survive the craziest shit out there. So we already discovered on Earth microbes that can live in extreme environments. And those bacteria are called extremophiles <laughs> or extremophiles, I guess, in English. So such microbes can actually be found in extreme environments with really high temperatures, like uh, the ocean crust, submarine hydrothermal vents, inside volcanoes, some of them in really extremely cold uh, temperatures like ice caps, for example. Others live in very highly salt, uh, high in salt environments or highly acidic, ha highly alkaline uh, deserts and gold mines. And some of them can even survive space. They, they found actually that there are some bacteria. They did a lot of uh, testing, and as I was saying, in the International Space Station. And they found that there were bacteria that were surviving just fine, the UV radiations and all the radioactive environments in space. And there was, for example, a strain of bacteria that was exposed outside of the International Space Station for a whole year. 
and it actually survived. <laughs> so that's that's insane. It actually was trying to protect its own DNA because usually UV lights can damage DNA, and it managed to just keep its DNA safe for a whole year in the UV radiation of the space. <laughs> so that's why there are so many people that believe in panspermia and in the possibility of bacterial life to travel uh, through space. I mean, that's intelligent life. Yeah, it, it kind of is in, in a non-brain system. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, bacteria are really good at adapting. I mean, we can see that through antibiotics, for example, uh, antibiotic resistance strictly comes from survival, from bacteria survival. They just figured out what we're using against them, and they figured out a way to mutate their DNA and protect themselves. So <laughs> this actually can, um, yeah, this this shows for sure the high potential of resilience and adaptability of life, the possibility of it living outside of Earth. Can astrobiology help bridge the gap between science and spirituality by providing a scientific context for questions about the origins of life and the possibility of life beyond Earth? Yes. So as I was saying before, astrobiology is actually a science that can answer very spiritual questions like, why are we here? How did we get here? Are we alone in the universe? So yeah, it can definitely help bridge this gap. And it will help us provide answers to those existential questions that we have uh, as intelligent and spiritual beings. And the answers astrobiology will provide uh, could either completely remove your spirituality uh, and just like give you a hardcore scientific fact of we exist because of this and this reason, or it can it can also show us that we're just like molecules that happen to mix together and once we're gone those those molecules are gone there is no real spirit or it can actually show us the opposite and that we do exist for a reason and that maybe we're not alone in the universe and maybe we have neighbors all around us and all we have to do is to actually look for them and listen they're just a phone call away a wi-fi signal away <laughs> <laughs> beep boop boop beep beep boop boop I just called my ancestors. <laughs> so let's talk about the concept of the pale blue dot. Yes. As described by Carl Sagan, which emphasizes the Earth's smallness in the universe. How does this perspective influence our sense of spirituality and interconnectedness? Okay, so the pale blue dot actually comes from like this concept. This whole concept comes from, as you said, Carl Sagan. It's originating in a picture. So the pale blue dot is actually the picture of Earth taken by the Voyager 1 while it was heading towards the outer limit of the solar system. And actually, it's Carl Sagan who requested this picture of of earth and it's you can look it up online it's basically a very low resolution of a tiny blue dot that is earth actually this picture it it can it, it is very touching because it can actually show us the smallness and the fragility of our whole world and like our planet and the people we know our lives all our problems everything like our countries they're all within this tiny dot that like looked at from outside of the solar system is barely there uh, so it can actually show us that no matter the back our background no matter what our life looks like no matter what we sound like no matter our family or the people we know we're actually all the same and we're all within this tiny little space that's so insignificant uh, uh, when you compare it to the universe so this can, of course, bring a huge sense of, uh, of spirituality and interconnectedness uh, between humans. Because, as I said, we're just all the same, living it up in this tiny little dot. And maybe we're not alone. And we're just, let's just enjoy this tiny life that we have while we have it. And just be all together. <laughs> peace and love. Yeah, <laughs> so, I like that. <laughs> I'm all for peace and love. <laughs> Yeah, especially now we really need it. So how did you decide to become a scientist? What what inspired you? Gosh, I can actually tell you exactly. I was in ninth grade, I believe. And that's where I started learning about the DNA and biology. 
And just when I discovered that something called DNA exists and it actually controls our whole life, I was hooked. I was like, oh my God, I need to study this. I need to be able to, I think I have some weird God complex, or at least I had it. And I was like, <laughs> I need to manipulate this DNA. <laughs> so that's actually how I got into science. And I was headset on being a biologist ever since I was in school, all throughout high school and college. And uh, here I am. <laughs> For your PhD, what was your emphasis? So I was working on genetic diseases, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and on gene editing, also a big surprise. I actually was working on something called CRISPR, which is, uh, you may have heard of it, is some sort of molecular scissors that literally just cuts the DNA and you can replace parts of it. And I was uh, trying this technique using it uh, to try to develop a therapy for a disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And this is a, um, a genetic disease in which uh, the patients are born are born with it, basically. And around two to three years of age, they start losing their muscle capacities gradually and until they, they cannot walk anymore by the age of 10 to 12, and they die pretty young. So it's a very devastating disease. And it was really, really awesome to be able to try to find a solution for a genetic disease, especially that genetic diseases aren't easily treated. So yeah, it was pretty cool. That reminds me of those movies that they create where you're able to manipulate genes and, you know, you, you test your baby. <laughs> I love those they're movies. So, they're so fun to watch. You know, they you know, like... <laughs> kind of dystopian movies where yeah they're like okay I'm gonna test or even before you test the embryo and then yeah, you just go in there oh and like God. cut and paste like with those scissors that you're working on is that the future yeah well, this is highly unethical <laughs> but it actually happened and uh, there's a scientist in China who actually uh, um, used CRISPR on fetuses i think they were in fetal stage yeah and the kids were born and it was actually to treat aids and uh he wound up in jail for it obviously another oops uh, <laughs> this is not ethical we do not use yeah, we can go down the rabbit hole <laughs> we do not use <laughs> like techniques like crispr on humans yet so <laughs> it's it's really dystopian yeah how does spirituality play in your life um so I grew up Christian, a very Christian Catholic family. And as time went by, I have to admit, I did grow away from that part of me, uh, especially when I got more into science. And then I, I think now I, I, I'm not a very spiritual person. It's more like I look into things in a very scientific way. So I would I for sure do stuff like yoga, meditation, but I look at it more of a scientific kind of aspect of like, yeah, it does help regulate. It was proven scientifically. It helps regulate the, the stress hormones and stuff. But yeah, I, 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 I'm still trying to figure it out spiritually wise. <laughs> do you think you have like this scientific block um, with like spiritual concepts sometimes? Because I think the way that you're wired is to look at things that way. Yeah, it's it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I have to admit that whenever something that's out of the ordinary happens, my first thought is definitely not like something spiritual. Right away, I would try to go look for the cold heart truth to the evidence, scientific evidence of it. Like, mm -hmm. for example, for sure, I am not a ghost believer. That's like 100%. And Whenever I hear ghost stories, my first instinct is to like try to explain it with physics or science. It's funny because I'm sure you've heard my other episodes where I talk about how I can feel ghosts and everything. And my dad, yeah, my, my I'm dad's so a sorry. PhD. <laughs> hey, it's totally fine. Spirituality is, you know, you you accept other people's beliefs. There's no, yeah. I mean, I, it's whatever you want to believe. Yeah, it's okay. No, same for me. I will not be going around being like, "Oh, you're crazy," or you know, like some insane stuff. No, I, I believe for me, each person, every person has their own truth. Exactly. And if you believe it, then it's your truth, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, it's funny because my dad was a geophysicist, like a PhD, like as sciencey as you can get, and. And then my mom and I, you know, we grew up with these sensitivities. And when I would tell him these stories about like these noises and these screams and he'd go, he'd be like, oh, that was just, you know, the pool cleaner going off in the middle of the night. I'm like, 
okay, you know, he'd always try to find what that noise was. And even like 30 years later, he'd be like, that was the pool, like still trying to figure it out. I'm like, dad, it's just let it go. It's fine. Just let it go. You can believe what you want. I can have my experience. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's also one one of those things. It's like what you believe is what you see, but also it is experiential. I wouldn't have these beliefs unless weird things happened to me first. Yeah, that, that's understandable. My my own, the only situation where I would have a problem is that if there is like an actual scientific proof or scientific theory or whatever, and people are like, no, it's not true. I mean, you know, like there are many stories, like the whole flat earth thing or just thinking about that. Oh my God, I just, there are endless, endless stuff going on in the world right now that I just cannot understand. And yeah, that's where it becomes a problem for me, actually, when, when you have proof and people just don't want to look at it or just go into a crazy rabbit hole of nonsense. <laughs> Well, I think having an open discussion about it without judgment is always helpful. Yes, but as long as it's not harming other people. Exactly. It's all about not harming others. What are you working on right now? Right now, I'm a medical writer. I actually pivoted away from research and uh, I decided to combine my two passions, which are writing and science. And so now I'm a freelance medical writer where where I would write um, various types of documents, basically, or articles, uh, either scientific or just blog entries about science, trying to make science more accessible for everyone. And uh, I'm actually loving it. (laughs) That's awesome. And what aspects of science do you prefer writing about? So my specialty, of course, is always going to stay what I did uh, as a PhD. So genetics, for sure, rare diseases, muscle. But I'm... Honestly, I'm open to so many things because my background is very varied. So when I did my bachelor's, it was in life and earth sciences. So I had to learn geology. I had to learn like space stuff. It was insane. Like, so um, I learned to just be open to anything. And honestly, I just enjoy science. And even if it's a new topic, I love learning about it and then teaching people about it. DJing has provided me with a channel for creativity as well as another form of meditation. Stay tuned for one of my cosmically curated DJ sets coming up shortly. Have you ever read anything about astral projection? Astral projection? No. Where you can you can leave your body and get, like astral project into another place. This is more about consciousness so you can observe. That's things. why I'm not very familiar with it. <laughs> Something to look up. You can you can you can Google that and be like, oh my god. It does say some. I I have heard something like that. I've heard about it, like people having their consciousness kind of leave their body when they're sleeping, kind of thing Mm -hmm. or meditating. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But honestly, I don't I don't know much about it. We got to save that for another episode. (laughs) Yes, I'll do my research for that. Yeah, I would love to have this discussion. (laughs) And so, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me, I'm not, I don't have a huge online presence actually, but I do have a blog, a scientific blog called biologicallycurious.com, uh, where you can go in. I've been trying to, uh, work on it a bit more, but I have to admit I've been busy, but I do write a lot of articles about, uh, scientific phenomena that are a bit complicated, very sciencey, and I try to make them a bit more accessible for everyone. Uh, because I believe that science has to be accessible for everyone. You can also look me up, find me on LinkedIn, or reach out to me by mail. And I'm always available for any chat or if you have any scientific needs. <laughs> awesome. And I'll put all your information in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate our conversation. And that was so much fun. Thank you. I mean, I always say like my head is in outer space <laughs> on, you know, on these spiritual sides. I love having like scientists on the show, you know, to, to chat about like the other side of it, but also to relate spirituality with science. Yeah. It, Real pleasure for we me. We go together. It's been a pleasure too. It's so much fun. Thank you so much. I, I love having to be forced to look at things with another perspective. <laughs> you can be our resident doctor scientist. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for being a part of our community. Be sure to connect with me by hitting subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. I greatly appreciate your support and would be thrilled if you could leave a review. Your reviews help this podcast reach a wider audience and foster stronger collective connection. You can also connect with me on Instagram and YouTube at the Cosmic Whispers Podcast. Thanks for listening.
If you like what you hear and would like to check out the full set, be sure to find me, Cosmic Mama, on SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash Cosmic Mama.